Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our new series, Remaining Steadfast in Distressing Times, with a message entitled, When People Come to Christ. So turning your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 to 10, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Some of you listening to my voice right now have a very fond memory of coming to Christ as a child. Some of you don't remember when you came to Christ, but you do know that you trust in Christ and in Him alone for forgiveness of sins and for your only hope of eternity. And you bear all the marks of someone who's been truly born again. Others like myself grew up in a Christian home but came to Christ much later. You know, and still others came to Christ as adults not having a Christian background at all. Your background was perhaps religious, or maybe it was irreligious, but your entire family was outside of Christ. And then at one moment, Christ drew you to himself, and you are eternally his. I have a very fond memory of praying with a man in his early 50s. He had just come to Christ from a different religion. He told me of his conversion. Then he said, would you pray for me? And I began to thank God the Father for having chosen him from eternity past, and then Christ the Lord for having come at the Father's command to give his life for my brother. And then I began to thank the Holy Spirit for irresistibly drawing him to himself. And and I was praying just like that. And then he grasped my arm and he said, you have to stop now. This is so much. I don't know if I can withstand so much love. And then he simply started to weep with joy. (laughs) You know, some of you listening to my voice have never confessed your sins to God. You've never surrendered your life wholeheartedly to Christ. but, But you're listening right now and you feel drawn to listen more. And for those of you who are in that category, I pray that God would bring you all the way home to him, that no matter what it might cost you, that you'd surrender your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and that you would do it as quickly as possible. See, the stories of conversion are varied in all of them, without any exception. They're all amazing stories. That's because every conversion story is the story of the life of someone who's turned from sin and self and idols to serve the living God. All of eternity has changed. You know, we've begun to study 1 Thessalonians, and today we're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5b to verse 10. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, what we've read is a part of a wider section in which Paul is giving thanks to God for the salvation of the Christians in Thessalonica. But in this section, he's concentrating specifically on the changes that Christ has brought into their lives. And I notice that he identifies five specific changes he has either witnessed or he has heard from others. And so for our purposes, let's look at these five changes and identify how these five changes are also true in the life of everyone who has truly come to know Christ. So here's the first of those changes. The new believers in Jesus were imitating Paul and his missionary team, and they were imitating Christ as well. 
You know, I know in our day, we're often told that we should not try to be like someone else, but that we should really learn to be our own man or woman, that is, uniquely be who we are. And that's fine advice as far as it goes, but in truth, no one is their own man or woman. We all imitate everyone around us far more than we even notice. And what kind of clothing do you wear? How do you style your hair? What, what language do you speak? What kinds of things do you long for? See, our culture or our society, it dictates these matters. Indeed, if you've traveled, well, you might have noticed how many cultures in the world find that, for instance, talk of God and his blessings are as normal to everyday conversation as is talking about the weather to normal Canadians. Culture dictates who you are, what you love, what you consider to be normal, and even how much individuality should be either tolerated or desired. And I've noticed that people who make a practice of cursing, for example, well, they learn that practice from all the people around them. Well, same is true of the people who serve others, of people who love classical music, people who drive motorcycles. Imitation is just normal. The real question is, whom are you imitating? So go back to verses 5b to 6a. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So do you notice what happened to the Thessalonian Christians? Their role models changed. Who they thought of as heroes changed. It started by observing Paul and Silas. Even though those two men were with them for only a short amount of time, clearly these new converts liked what they saw. Now, here we're not told what they like, but I don't think we have to guess a lot, do we? They would have seen Paul reasoning with both Jews and Greeks, very effectively answering questions, ably giving reasons to believe. They would have seen what happened when the pressure began and how Paul and Silas didn't cower in the face of mounting opposition. And they would have watched how they responded to slander. They would have seen them in prayer and devotion. They would have seen them loving even their enemies and yet not giving one inch in the proclamation of the gospel. And the Thessalonian believers said, well, those, those are our role models. We want to be like that. Now, some of us might wonder why Paul said, you became imitators of us and the Lord. I mean, why is it in that order? I mean, shouldn't he have mentioned the Lord Jesus first? But, but in truth, we learn to imitate Jesus as we see others imitating Jesus. We all need role models. And by the way, have you ever wondered why Hebrews 11 is there? By faith, Abel, it says, and then by faith, Enoch, and then by faith, Abraham and Sarah, and then Jacob, and then Moses, and then even by faith, Rahab, the woman who had been a prostitute and learned to trust God. By faith, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. These are people who conquered kingdoms and enforced justice and obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions and so forth. It was all done by faith. You see, we need role models. It's one of the reasons I always encourage Christian parents to get your kids to read appropriate, age-appropriate Christian biographies and then begin to inflame their minds with role models that will lead them through life. That's why I tell parents of teenagers, whatever you do, get your kids into a godly youth group. In the end, all of these role models will make an impact on them, and they'll want to be like Jesus. In contrast, the people of this world, well, they want to imitate, you know, sports heroes and movie stars and other entertainers and rock stars, well, you name it. It's the mark of a Christian that we have a different set of heroes from those that are the heroes of the world. 
and eventually our role models lead us to want to be like Jesus himself. Well, that's the first point I've wanted to make, but now let's go to the second. All converts of Christ not only gain a new set of heroes and are imitators of different people, they also take on a very different set of values from that of this world or from the culture in which they live. And that's what Paul is also thankful for. So here's an example or an easy example, I should say, of what we're talking about. In some cultures of the world, people talk easily and freely about God. Even when they meet strangers, it's just a part of their everyday culture. And in other cultures like ours, we're supposed to keep our religious beliefs to ourselves. It's a private matter, we say, and don't bring it out there on the streets. Now, now look what happened to the new converts in Thessalonica. I'm reading here verse 6b. Paul writes, For you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. See, this really is, when you think about it, a remarkable statement. As we remember, there had been a riot in the city. There is now open hostility to the gospel, and it's deeply felt everywhere. It seems that both Jews and Greeks have joined together in saying, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ has no place in our city. Keep your mouth shut about that. Indeed, a mob had been looking for Paul, and we could only imagine what they would have done had they found him. But these are the kind of circumstances in which the gospel had come. It wasn't ideal. But it was in just such a circumstance in which the gospel was born in the hearts of believers in that city. And Paul says, you received the gospel with joy in the Holy Spirit. He says, it was the Holy Spirit that inspired your joy, that caused you to respond. And we know that the Holy Spirit gives power. We know that he instructs and he heals, but we also know that he draws people to Christ. And this is fascinating. These people weren't intimidated by their culture. No, no, they were drawn by the Holy Spirit. That's the difference between them and everyone else. Everyone who's come to Christ has turned his or her back on the cultures of this world, and they have felt a greater draw than the culture of this world. They have felt the draw of the Holy Spirit. What a time in history. In one sense, who would have imagined? In another, the Bible suggests that we should expect such times. In either respect, it is certainly a reminder of those things that matter most. Our love for God, our love for family, and the calling each of us has as children of God to share the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the mission of Back to the Bible Canada. And we're so grateful that as a result of so many people across the country who give so generously that this mission continues. So thank you. Your commitment to giving allows this Bible teaching ministry to sustain its programming every day. So coast to coast, to each of you, we express our gratitude and please be assured every gift of any amount is so appreciated. To know more about the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada and all the Bible teaching resources available, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. We've been talking about markers or changes that happen in everyone that comes to Christ. And the first change is that they have a new set of heroes. And the, and the second is that they respond to the Holy Spirit rather than to the intimidation of men or the draw or the lure of the culture of this world. Here now is the third change. 
our lives eventually become a model for others. Look how it goes. First, we become imitators of others, but eventually, as we grow in holiness, others become imitators of us. So let's read about that in verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. I want you to notice the word sounded. It's a rare verb in Greek, but it is a word from which we get our English word echo. And if you've ever been in a place in which, you know, surrounding mountains create the conditions for an echo, and then when you call out, you just hear the sound of your voice as it just bounces off the rocks and the mountainsides over and over again. That really does get at what Paul is saying here. Not only had the Thessalonian believers welcomed the message, but we know that their joy in finding Jesus, well, it seemed to echo all the way through the entire nation of Greece. Now, we might ask ourselves, how did that happen? And I say that because we actually have no record of the Thessalonian church sending out anyone from their group to join Paul's missionary team. And and we do know that as time went on, well, Paul did use certain cities as his base of operations for his missionary team. But when he first came to Thessalonica, Paul had not yet at that point in time ever established that as a method of operation. So we have to assume the Thessalonian church had no influence over other churches. So what is Paul saying when he says, what has happened to you has reverberated or or echoed all through the nation of Greece? Well, let's begin by noticing that in Macedonia, that is in northern Greece, The city of Thessalonica would have been an important port city. So in general, you know, just like the large cities of the world today, like New York or London or Tokyo or Beijing or Washington or, you know, maybe even Toronto. I mean, what happens in important cities is of great interest to other places. And so we have to assume that the people of Greece were aware of Thessalonica and at least to some degree what happened there. And it turns out that the riot This new Christian faith had started in that city, became widely known, and even more so, that in spite of severe social pressure to the contrary, there was a growing and courageous and not intimidated group of Christians who were not keeping quiet about Jesus or his resurrection or that he was King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So think of it this way. I mean, most of us are talking about the coronavirus and the thing has jumped borders and the thing has no known cure, not yet. The thing is highly contagious, yet it's all these things. And if you're opposed to the new growing Christian faith, that was what was happening in Thessalonica, and it was alarming to them. This Christian virus is resistant to persecution, and indeed, it seems to thrive in that kind of a climate. And if you're inclined to believe that the Christian faith was a positive thing, you might have heard of the extreme reaction to the preaching of Paul, and yet, in spite of that, the church had still begun and was growing. Regardless, what had happened in Thessalonica was echoing all throughout the land. And for those who wanted to live for Christ, what had occurred in Thessalonica became a model for them. If they can do it over there in Thessalonica, we can do it over here as well. And one of the reasons I have long loved persecution stories is, well, it's not because I delight in persecution or have a delight in stories that involve injustice and cruelty. I have long loved persecution stories because I find that a great many Christians who become the object of persecution are at the outset just ordinary Christians who suddenly find they have far more love for Christ and far more courage than they would ever have believed. And if that happened to them, could the same God give me that courage as well? And look, it doesn't have to be persecution stories, does it? 
I know this is all about hardship we encounter. It either makes us cowards and very evil men and women, or it creates in us a greater trust in God than we had ever imagined. And that, I think, is what Paul is expressing. You Thessalonian believers became an echo everywhere. People are talking about your response to living in a very difficult world. See, I think God has appointed all Christians to model their faith to someone. You know, Christian children do that on the playground. Christian parents model it for their kids. Christian workers model their willingness to work for their employers as unto the Lord. We aren't lazy. We refuse to steal or take something that's not ours. When we do business, we act honorably, showing that we really do know how to love our neighbor as ourselves. And when there's a time of national emergency, Christians showcase their love for others. We begin to take it seriously. I I don't just live for myself. I'm aware of how my conduct, how my words, my actions, my attitudes, and my worship impact those around me. And eventually, we begin to grow in our faith enough where we're willing to see that we wish to be an example for others. We want our faith to ring out, to echo out over the watching world. We've already looked at three changes in every believer. First, we become imitators of worthy role models. And then second, we value the joy of the Holy Spirit more than the joy of our culture. And then third, we start to model our faith to others. And now fourth, we become known both for what we have left behind and for what we've embraced. Look again at verse 9. Paul is still talking about how faith of the Thessalonians has gone out everywhere. And then he says what people are saying. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Well, we do know what kind of reception Paul and Silas had in the synagogue and the mob that was formed in the city. And I'm sure plenty of people talked about that, but they also talked about the social pressure that must have been on the newly formed church in Thessalonica. They must have faced an enormous pressure to disown Paul. Perhaps they might have said, yeah, well, yeah, okay, we like Jesus, but we agree Paul is a problem. I've often wondered about how easily Christians do turn on each other and to be truthful. These Thessalonian believers had every reason to create a great deal of social distance between themselves and Paul, but they didn't. And that alone is astonishing, but there's still one more thing here that also catches my eye. Paul says, people have noticed how you've turned from idols to serve the living God. And I say that's fascinating because I know that that for three weeks, Paul spent time speaking in the local synagogue. And the people who became the first converts of Christ in Thessalonica, well, they were made up of two groups. The first group would have been Jews who were anxiously awaiting the Messiah. And the second would have been Gentile God-fearers who also loved the God of Israel. And I know that neither one of those two groups had ever worshipped idols. They had rejected idols. And that must mean that the new converts to Christ in Thessalonica actually shared their faith with their wider community. And they began to win a great many converts to Christ who came out of the idolatrous temples in that city. And that must have made the headlines. The gospel wasn't contained to those traditionally receptive circles of people. Idol worshipers were coming to Christ, and that caught everyone's eye. And that means these Christians were ready to leave family and friends and culture for only one reason. They found in Christ a far greater treasure than that which was in the city of Thessalonica. Every modern-day Christian says exactly the same thing. And that leaves us with one more final mark of every believer. Fifth, 
Every believer in Christ longs for the Lord's second coming. Verse 10, and to await for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, no believer in Jesus thinks this world is all there is. And furthermore, every believer in Jesus thinks this world is a condemned world. It won't last. It was never going to. Finally, God would judge the world for its sins, and for this reason, every believer will say, with the words of that old Negro spiritual, this world is not my home. I'm only passing through. And we're going to say even more. We're going to say, I'm eagerly waiting and hoping, not for earthly satisfaction, but I'm waiting for a satisfaction that comes when the clouds are finally parted and Jesus Christ, my Savior and Lord, returns for me, and I will go to meet the Lord in the air. As we get to the latter parts of 1 Thessalonians, Paul will deal a great deal with hope, hope that is secure. I think this message today should be of great comfort to all believers. It explains why you're so different, my friend. It explains while you'll never put your hope in this world, you've been born again. Even though this world passes away with a sigh, your hope was always from another place, and it is that which defines who you are. Thanks so much, John. You know, you spoke of five changes or marks in the life of a Christian. Let me ask you, are all of those apparent or true for every Christian? I do think they are. I mean, I think it's just a gift that the Holy Spirit gives us. When we were first born again, we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives. I, you know, you think about each one. We become imitators of worthy role models. I, I don't think it's possible for someone to be a believer in Jesus and not search around and look and say, I mean, who are the kind of people that I might emulate? I think that clearly is there. Um, you know, the value, the joy of the Holy Spirit, well, <laughs> I think that happens because we begin to taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, we start to model our faith to others, yeah. I mean, we're ever aware of the fact that there are those around us, you know, who need to learn from us. So we want to be role models, um, and we become, you know, we become known for what we've embraced and what we've left behind. And, and really, when we think about the second coming of Jesus, I think the second coming of Jesus is that you know, there's that seed, that, that, that power center that really uh, helps us to go through very difficult times. Uh, we remember that Christ is coming back, so we know that our best days are ahead. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, to all five of those, every single believer. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Over the past months, I've been asked a few of the same questions a number of times. Typically, they would be, how is Dr. Newfeld?" And the answer is, great. He's working from home for the most part, but well and safe. Another question is, how is the ministry doing financially? Well, to that I say, God is good. He provides. Gracious partners across the country continue to give, and we're so appreciative. Times are uncertain, and we must tighten our belts, so to speak, but we walk in confidence. So thank you for staying in touch. Thank you for supporting in prayer. And thank you to those, including our monthly partners, who continue to give regularly. And for those who are not able at this time, we understand. Please keep praying for the ministry. To learn more about the Bible teaching resources available through the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, or to support the ministry with a financial gift today, 
call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.